I don't know if you recognize this, but we as a community are very privileged to be partnered and really working so close with CA. I mean, it, it's a privilege to be able to say that we here in Spokane are connected with amazing planters all around the world. Uh, men and women who are um, just hearing the call and being radical and going for it. And uh, their story is part of our story. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So continue to pray for CA. Continue to pray for Rob and Robbie as they lead that organization. And uh, continue to, to pray that God may call you uh, to go and partner uh, somewhere around the world uh, as we continue to extend the gospel. Um, <clears throat> the next thing. Where is Asher and Mia? Come on out. Asher and Mia and Karis are coming up. And uh, we have an opportunity for baby dedication. Yeah, why don't the whole crew come up? Awesome. And do we still have that mic around here somewhere? The f- is it working or no? Awesome. Thanks. Well, we want to uh, spend just a moment here praying over you guys as a family, and why don't, why don't all of you just kind of circle around them, lay hands on them, and we're just going to take a moment and, and pray. Baby dedication, and I, I say this often, but uh, I think it's important to be reminded of it on a regular basis, that it's not just about the grandparents, it's not just about the godparents, it's not just about the parents, but it's also about us. That uh, as in a marriage, we serve as witnesses, um, and we support a marriage in a baby dedication. It's our opportunity to stand with a family and say, we want to be a part of raising this little girl with you. And so that is our commitment to them. And uh, so let's just pray now over Karis and Asher and Mia. God, we are just grateful that you give amazing gifts you have given Asher and Mia this beautiful little girl that over the last seven months they have grown greater and greater in love with her. And God, I pray that uh, as you have already been equipping and preparing them, that you might give them amazing wisdom for the days ahead. That they might know how to, um, to have her walk in the ways of you. That they might model for their daughter, what it means to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as themselves. God, I pray that the wisdom that they impart to her, that the time spent with grandparents and godparents, that everyone here in this circle would have an amazing influence on this little girl. I pray that you would raise her up so that she might know you, that she might follow you, that she might give her heart to you, that you would be the center of everything that she is, And God, we ask that you would um, just chart out a future for her that enables her to impact the world in incredible ways. We pray that you would use her gifts, her calling, that you would equip her in a way that that would really reflect your name. God, I even pray that uh, as she perhaps awaits the day um, when she might find someone else in her life, that you would bring the perfect gentleman into her life to uh, to be able to partner together with her to uh, to make a difference in this world. 
God, again, we just ask that you would surround this family with love and support and encouragement. May we be that to them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. And then last but not least, before we jump into the text for this morning, uh, Kayla and Jenna Stanton have been, uh, they've been a part of our community for, well, Caleb, it's been six years now, right? Caleb has been a part of this community for six years, and uh, he did an internship with us several years back, and uh, he's been on staff working as the sexton for the last, like, three years, maybe? Two, two and a half? And um, those of you that don't know what a sexton is, you can just ask him later. Uh, it's an amazing job. You'd love it. Anyhow, um, they're, they're, come on up right now, real quick. Uh, they are actually getting prepared to leave. Uh, this is their last Sunday. And um, one of the things that we always dream about for interns is that God would, would take them and extend them around the world. Whatever role they end up playing, that uh, God would use them. And God has called them... Uh, to work in Elkhart, Indiana. It's crazy, but Elkhart, Indiana is where my wife grew up, and uh, it is where we spend uh, some vacation time every now and then. And uh, so all of a sudden, I heard about this job opening there, called my friend and said, you need to talk to Caleb. And uh, God just worked it out in amazing ways, and it's going to be a perfect spot for them. They're going to tell you a little bit more about it, if one of these mics works. Perfect. Give it to us. All right. So, um, yeah, I've been coming to New Community for six years since I was a freshman at Eastern, and it's just been a great experience to grow here and be a part of a great community, and it's great to see how everything changes. I remember when Russ came on staff with New Community, and I met him at a retreat, and I was like, this guy's pretty cool. I think I think we're going to be friends. And so it's it's been great to meet with Russ and meet with a lot of the people the impact they've had on my life and my wife's life, wife, 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 something like that. Um, I met her in New Community as well, so it's just a blessing. Um, about, I would say, two and a half months ago, we got I got a call from Russ, or I think I was texting him asking how the Chicago trip went. And he was like, oh yeah, it went great, you know, and then he sent me a text and was just like, hey, would you be interested in a Youth for Christ position? And I was like, well, awesome, yeah, I love kids, you know, I love sports, I love to just be involved in people's lives, and so... Um, I was like, yeah, and he's like, and it's in Indiana. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, Indiana, no, not so much. But day before April Fool's Day. Day yeah. before April Fool's Day. Come so on. it's pretty funny. Um, and so I told my wife I was heading to work, so I told her just be praying about what God had us, you know, what He was calling us to do. So I didn't want to tell her over the phone because she would have freaked out, and then it would have been, I wouldn't have been there. It would have been awful. But um, I got home, and she was just.
very, very devastating. Not something that I think we're used to here in Spokane um, at all. Um, and so it's just going to be an exciting new chapter in our lives, and I think we're ready to go. So yeah. thanks, Russ. Yeah. 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 Tomorrow morning, our stuff's on its way, so we got to go now. <laughs> Well, I wanted to take a moment and, uh, and just pray over them. And uh, where's Kevin? You want to come up too? And um, we at the church just wanted to say thanks. We got you a little a card and some stuff that when you get to Elkhart, you'll be able to use. Um, and then when we come visit you in Elkhart, you can take us out to dinner on that. Okay. <laughs> so it should work out great. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, yeah, why don't you have your guys' parents come up and then just lay hands and then we're, we're going to pray over you guys. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's always hard to uh, to see, especially staff go or to see people uh, head out from this community. But it's also uh, amazingly a thing to celebrate. Uh, that sometimes we we want so badly to hold on to people, and yet God has things that He's calling them to. And and what a privilege uh, for us as a community to be able to continue to send people out and to see. Uh, God work and move in incredible ways, and we're, we're confident he's going to do that through uh, Caleb and Jenna. Let's pray. God, we uh, just are grateful that you call all of us to make disciples. That it's a commission that all of us have received, and, and, you, and then in unique ways, you ask some of us to leave uh, the place where we've been making disciples for a while and do it in a, a different location. And God, I think you've uniquely gifted this couple. You've prepared them uh, in unique ways both in personality and um, ministry experience, to be able to step into this role and thrive. Uh, God, I'm convinced that uh, both for Caleb and Jenna, they will become to many of these kids a, a father figure and a mother figure, that they will be able to raise up the next generation of um, primarily minority children to, to really reach and impact their community. God, I ask that you would strengthen them for the task, Pray that you would strengthen their marriage, uh, that you would allow them to, uh, to tap into other key leaders in that community for refreshment and encouragement, and that you would just uh, use them uh, in incredible ways. God, we long for the time when they come back on vacation and, uh, and share with us updates of how you've been working and moving through them. May we continue to pray for them, and we just ask your safe blessing on them as they head out. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to jump into the text. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Um, I've been gone for the last couple weeks and just wanted to give you, uh, as quick as I could, an update uh, on that as well as I head into our lesson this morning. Uh, The last uh, couple weeks I've been in Kampala, Uganda, and uh, that's in the eastern side of Africa. And if any of our stuff works this morning, you'll be able to see it. Uh, This is uh, the capital city of Uganda. It's Kampala. And uh, we flew in there um, on the 10th of July, and then uh, was back, I just got back this last Tuesday. I was over there for uh, two weeks, and you can just kind of scroll a little bit, Micah. Uh, I was over there for the last, uh, for about a week, and the time in Uganda was, I was there to be at a pastor's conference. 
So I had the privilege of uh, being asked by an organization called the Pastors Discipleship Network to uh, begin to, to teach and train up a group of pastors in Eastern Africa. So there's a, there's a picture here in a moment. Hopefully we'll get to it. Um, yeah, I had to take that picture. That's <laughs> it, amazing. So all of, the, all of the, uh, the little shops along the side of the road, most of them are like, praise the Lord, electronics, or God is great, plumbing, or they, that demonstrates. I know it sounds weird, but that demonstrates to them that they're a Christian organization. So they want to... So I just thought this one was kind of fascinating, the Obama grocery. Um, Keep going. It's just a picture of some kids we spent a little bit of time with. And um, then we'll go one more slide. This is a a small picture, but it it spans the group of a a little over 500 uh, pastors, men and women who are equipping people in Eastern Africa. So these are pastors from... Kenya, southern Sudan that just became independent. There was a group from there. Uh, The Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, Tanzania, and then a a large group from Uganda. And just a a fabulous time with these leaders who came in to be trained and equipped to head out and to create new teaching opportunities for other pastors in their area. Uh, The need is uh, just staggering uh, for, uh, for these pastors to be trained and equipped, prepared, and so it was a privilege just to be able to go over there. Um, there just a couple quick highlights. One, from being in the conference, there, uh, there are just joyful, passionate followers of Jesus. It was so encouraging to be with these men and women who honestly worship the Lord with all of their heart. And um, their passion for the Word is just inspiring. I sat at this one point off to the side, and it was uh, the, the conference. We had different workshops, and then there was like a pause, and this one guy sitting off to the side, he's got three little highlighters with him, and he has his Bible open, and he's like highlighting stuff. We'll go to the next page, highlighting as he's reading. And a friend and I came up to him and just said, what, you know, tell, tell us what you're doing. Why are you highlighting? What's the point? And he said, well, I'm trying to differentiate between who wrote this and who wrote that, and who said this, and and uh, I said, well, if you understand it, why do you need to highlight it? And he said, well, I'm going to hand this Bible down to my son, and then it'll be his, and then he'll study from it. And, and I said, well, how come you're, like, marking that particular section? He said, well, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible this year. I go, that's, that's great. Is that something that you have done before? And he goes, well, this year I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. The year before I read it in the King James. The year before I read it in the NASB. The year before, and I go, just stop there. That's, <laughs> that, that works. You know, I, I, I get it. Uh, you're, you're just desiring to know the Word and to, to know who Jesus is and to follow Him with all His heart. And I met person after person after person that just had that same passion met this uh, group from the Congo, and we spent a little bit of time together. And um, a, a, week, a week before, there was a one-day kind of conference, a gathering for pastors to come to in the Congo. This other guy on the trip with me was at that conference and took video, of, like a 30-second video, where there was 100 pastors in a room. And uh, this guy up front asked them, so let's say this whole section, said, how many of you do not have a Bible? And 95% of the hands went up. 
these pastors leading congregations without Bibles. They'll listen to the radio and then write down as much as the text as they can remember, and then they'll just keep reading that and then teach from it for several weeks and then do that again. And then anytime someone comes, they ask for Bibles. And to see them praying and crying that their people would be able to have a copy of the Scriptures is just, I mean, it's mind-boggling to know that I've got so many copies at home. And then when I got home, I went on Amazon to look for something, and I, you know, just depending on what you're interested in, they have all these little pop-ups or whatever. And So I got one that was like, Download on your Kindle for 99 cents this version, and download it on your Kindle for a buck 99 this version. And, you know, to think that we have such access to it, and yet many times we just leave it on our shelf, uh, was was humbling. Um, but I also just want to say thank you for praying for me. I, I kind of gave you an update of what are the sessions I was going to share, and the chance to be with about a hundred uh, women pastors and leaders, and I was scared. I, mean, I was just scared out of my shorts. Like, I'm supposed to communicate to these just amazing women of Africa what it means to have a vital contribution in the African church. And I thought, I am so ill-equipped to do this. And yet, honestly, it had to be because you prayed. It was my favorite session. It, it was the one that it, it just seemed like God was speaking so clearly. The feedback... Uh, the, the ways they expressed thanks to you for praying, um, it, it was really, it was touching. So, uh, from many pastors in Eastern Africa to you, they express greetings, they say thank you. Uh, I'd love to tell you more about the trip, so anytime you're interested, I'm, I've got lots of pictures and lots to share. So, but thank you again for praying and uh, for being a part of uh, sending me and, and uh, kind of going with me. I appreciate it. I wanted to, as we go into the text, just share one last kind of story with you, because I think it really connects to what we're studying this morning. Uh, There's a a couple that uh, pastors a church just outside of Kampala, and uh, the picture should be right here. This is uh, Peter and Rose Mugabe. Oh, wait, I forgot. A, a, A picture of me. I started thinking, this is why I wanted to show you this picture really quick. I'll give you like 20 second uh, briefing on why this picture. All the other pictures, you could probably just pull off Google. So you wouldn't know for sure that I was in Uganda. But this one proves it for two reasons. One, I'm in a suit. I mean, that right there lets you know that I was at the conference teaching and they all dress up in suits every day. And then you can't Photoshop in that guy. With the AK-47 standing next to him, uh, it was just a surreal experience. So that's him with his normal look. That's me with my, like, tough guy look, I think. (laughs) Not very good, but still. Anyhow, moving on to uh, Pastor Peter and his wife Rose uh, Mugabe. They they pastor a church in the Nakawa community. The Nakawa community just sits just on the edge of Kampala, the capital city of Uganda. And uh, they are some of the most respected and wise pastors and leaders in, in this section of Uganda. Just great leaders. But he is um, a professor at the university, but then also pastors this church. And uh, they, they pastor a really poor community. If you go to the next slide, uh, it is government housing 
It's like shanty town. It's just small little, um, little houses that are poor. Go back a slide. Just stay right there. And um, this community, um, they've been investing in it for years. They have about 150, 200 people in their church. And to give you an idea of how poor this community is, on a monthly, if you like add up their, their total of monthly offerings, it comes out to about six U.S. dollars. If, if it's a good, good month, it's maybe 12 U.S. dollars So for the whole month. So this is a real poor community. They, they started a little school in the community where they could educate the children, and then they added a kitchen just recently that they can feed some of the children as they come to school and then use it also on Sundays to, as their people gather afterwards to have meals together, break bread together, and they, they've just been investing in incredible ways in this community. Well, recently, about a year ago, the government um, in Uganda told everyone in the Nakawa community that uh, we are going to evict you, that this is government housing, so your lease is up, and you need to leave, that this is shanty town, so if you've been squatting, you need to get out because we're going to sell the land to a UK-based firm who's going to redevelop it because it's right in the middle of Kampala, which is big, then right on the outskirts of that is this little Nakawa community, just beyond that, another beautiful section of the city. And so they want to get rid of the eyesore and put in just, again, amazing, nice um, amenities, nice homes, all of that kind of thing. Kind of thing. And so uh, they gave this notice, and then every three months they would just say, hey, listen, we're going to evict you, and then nothing would happen. They would say it again. Well, a week before we arrived, the, uh, the government r- rolled up in about 20 bulldozers, and then they had a line of military in front of them. And the military would walk up to the house, knock on the door, if there was a door, look in and say, hey, you have five minutes to get out. And so people would just start grabbing their stuff and running. They would, they would go on ahead and go, hey, you've got ten minutes, because once these houses are done, your house is next. So you need to start removing everything you have. And so here's some pictures of... It, that w- happened uh, about five, six days before we got there. And these graders, you can go to the next one, were just coming through and moving, stay right there, moving these houses and just crushing them. So they would come up to the next door, knock, and then everyone would move out of the house and then they would just level it. And then they just kept moving forward. Go to the next slide. And what you see all around for uh, quite a ways is just rubble. Just go like two more and just keep going over the next couple of slides. So all you could see, and they put this huge fence up around it so nobody could come into this part of the community um, while they start like going through debris and removing stuff. But they just, in about a day, day and a half, leveled everything. And right before we got there, there were still people who were sitting on top of their rubble that used to be their home, on top of their possessions, Because if they left their possessions, their possessions would be stolen. And they have nowhere to go. No one, they're just wondering, what do I do now? Because my community has been destroyed. You can see kind of in the background what they're hoping it will look like. Um, There's some nice houses, there's some nice uh, resort kind of areas. They're trying to build up this part of the community. Keep going a little further. And I don't know why that's there. Skip past that one. So we'll stop there for a second. So the, 
the problem here for this pastor is not only is the community gone, not only did they end up leaving, um, but his church was in the middle of this community. And so the next couple slides are his church. That's, that's the school and the church. And that's a little section of it where they were telling the kids that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so one Sunday, I'll come to that slide in a second. One Sunday, they have church. They're worshiping about 200 strong and praising the Lord in this community they're investing in. And the next Sunday, what you just saw was their church. And Jillian, this girl, came with us back to the church. And this is the first time she's walking in to see her church again. And the devastation that this community is experiencing is quite dramatic. To, to give you a scale, they were 19,000 people that were displaced. 19,000 people, homes gone in this community. You can go to the next slide. And this is Pastor Peter right here, standing kind of next to the cornerstone of the church and the school. And he's declaring with utter confidence that God is going to do an amazing work. That God is going to do something out of all of this that is beyond what they could imagine. And he's joyful in it. In fact, this last Sunday, I wasn't here. I was actually worshiping with them at a makeshift tent underneath a tree. And there's about eight of them. The rest of their community is displaced. They're gone. They moved out of the city. They don't know where to live. And... They can't make their way to church. And so there was eight of them worshiping under this makeshift tent under a tree, and there was a group of us with them who had just got done leading this conference, and we're singing with them, we're worshiping with them. At, at one point, they kind of paused the service, and the pastor, so funny, just with this great spirit, says, Hey, we want to welcome all of our visitors. We're so excited that it's your first Sunday with us. And then he goes, Wait, it's all of our first Sunday. Welcome, everyone, you know? And just, just had this amazing joy about them. They're, they're singing these songs, and one of the songs they sang was, God has blessed us double-double. He's blessed us triple-triple. And I re remember sitting there going, this doesn't feel to me like double-double, triple-triple. I mean, I, I think if I was in his same shoes and my whole community where I grew up, my home, my, my, my whole church building, and this ministry that all of us are a part of just gets destroyed. The kids that we had been investing in get dispersed. The school is gone. I don't know if the next week I'd be saying, God has blessed us double-double. And yet, they had this amazing, passionate worship and what's so interesting is this is exactly what we see happen in Habakkuk 3. If you have your Bible, look down at the very bottom of this section. Where I think what I've been asking myself since this trip is what enables people in the midst of heartache and devastation to walk with joy? What enables you in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances to be able to say, you know what, God is still good, I'm still rejoicing. I can even pray and sing and say, God has blessed me double-double. 
And I think the key really is found in this chapter. And if you look down at the last section, I'm going to read it here. It says in Habakkuk 3.17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You hear, you hear that, and if, if you don't get the full picture, I mean, this is a bleak scenario he's painting. I mean, he's saying that right now there's no food in the field. There's no seed that we are gathering to then have food in the field in the future. So he's saying it's bleak right now, but the future doesn't look any better. He's saying there's no animals in the stalls or in the pen which means no animals are getting frisky, which means there's no animals for the future, right? I mean, this is, this is very, this is like nothing now, the future doesn't look any better. I mean, it's a very bleak scenario. I mean, sometimes when we face circumstances like that, we go, well, it's bad now, but the future could get better. He's saying bad now, future, the odds aren't great. It's not going to improve quickly. Calamity is on the horizon. So he's describing this scenario. And so all week I've been asking myself, what would be my worst case scenario? What would be your worst case scenario? If you're, if you're painting the picture and if you're the one writing this last section, you know, would you say, though, all my friends have left me and my reputation is ruined? Though I have no job now and no prospect for one in the future. Though my savings is gone and you, you'd add to it, right? I mean, think about for just a moment your situation. Some of you are in the midst of a bleak situation. Others of you may be on the cusp of one. And into this worst case scenario, he says, I rejoice. I take joy. He says, yet. That key word, yet. And here's why I think he's able to say it. And I think the key is found earlier in the chapter. It's not startling revelation because I think it's something that is told to us over and over and over again in the Scriptures. But if you look at verse 2, the first key, I think, to having joy in the midst of bleak situations is to remember. Verse 2, it says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In the Message Bible, it says it this way, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. I think one of the first keys to walking through a bleak situation like this is to remember milestones of God's presence. Remember milestones of God's presence. We're not going to take the time just because of time to go through each of these, but what you'll see in the text, if you read through the rest of it, 
in this chapter is that in uh, verse 5, he alludes to the Egyptian plagues. He says that God was with us in the midst of this. Then in verse 6, he um, talks about wilderness wanderings and that God sustained them and was present with them in the midst of the wilderness. Then in verse 8, as they crossed the Red Sea, their back was up against the wall. The Egyptians were coming. It seemed bleak. It seemed bad. And yet he was present. And then in Joshua's long day, when the battle just was getting near the end and they needed to sustain the victory, that God paused everything, literally. The sun stood still and He was present with them in that moment and gave them victory. And it is all of these things in the midst of really what would have been for them quite bleak circumstances, negative things that were happening, that God demonstrated Himself most present. That God demonstrated time and time again how He rescued them, cared for them, sustained them, loved them, was with them. And I I truly believe one of the ways that we can walk through difficulty and come out the other end is by remembering the ways in which He's provided, cared, sustained, walked with us in the midst of it. it. And it's so important for us to recall those. In fact, the Bible says over and over and over, remember what He's done. Remember what He's done. In fact, they talked about building monuments to remember His provision, His protection, His rescue. I think sometimes it's important for us to remember, especially when we come to the text, that we're not the center of the story. It's easy for us to want to be the center of the story, is it not? But the center of the story, the hero of the adventure, is always Jesus. It's always God. Amen? That's right. It's always God. Let me give you an example of how I think this plays out. If you take the story of David, oftentimes we see the difficulty, the circumstance, the thing that needs to be overcome as our Goliath, right? And we go, God, we need great help in the midst of difficulty. We need you to move with us. We need you to be present with us in this. And then we see ourselves as David, who picks up the five stones. God miraculously allows us to sling it. It hits the giant in the forehead. He falls. We cut off his head. We have victory. And we go, God helped me in the midst of my problem, and I overcame. Right? Probably a more appropriate rendering of the story of David would look something like this. Goliath, the difficulty, the circumstance, the hard time, the thing that must be overcome, is present and he's bearing down. And we are the Egyptian, or the Israelite, excuse me, in the corner, cowering, saying, we can never defeat this guy. We're doomed. We might as well give in now. We might as well start worshiping their God. We might as well quit. There's no way we can get out of this. It is a dire, horrible circumstance. And guess who David is? Jesus. Jesus steps in between. And he's the one that rescues. He's the one that saves. He's the one that overcomes. And then we, as the Israelite, go, yeah, we knew we could always do it. You see what we did? But that's the way it works. That's what the text tells us over and over again. That that sometimes, yes, it works that we are the David. And sometimes God moves in us in incredible ways. But more often than not, the story of the Gospel is that God on our behalf steps in and plays a role that only He can play. 
And so in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of circumstances that are bleak, our responsibility is to remember milestones of His presence. To see that He is the David that steps in. That He is the Savior. The one that rescues. The one that is always present. The one that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you're going through. The second thing that I think is important for us is the last little phrase here in the text. In chapter 3, Habakkuk says, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to rejoice. That key word of rejoice, it's interesting. He says, I will rejoice and I will take joy. But what's important for us to understand or to see in this text is where that joy or where that hope or where that excitement is placed. He doesn't say, I'm going to take joy that there are no animals in the stall. And I'm going to take joy that there is no food in the field. He's not saying, I'm going to love the circumstances I'm in. He's not saying, this, I'm going to cheer when calamity happens to me. I mean, even the book of James talks about how we're to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials, but the joy isn't about the trial. The joy is about the outcome that the trial produces, right? So it's never that we get excited that we're in the midst of a really hard time, but what it is is that in the midst of the hard time, we can recognize what he says he will take joy in. You see it in the text? I will take joy in the Lord. It's him. He then goes on to say that he is my strength. Not he will give me strength, but he is my strength. I think sometimes we mistake one for the other. Sometimes what we say is that God will give me strength. That we're more concerned about the gift than we are about the giver. That like, God, I love you. I'm committed to you. So please, I really, what I really want is this from you. Instead of recognizing, like the text does, that it's He that is the gift. The giver is the gift. It's so important for us to recognize that. So he's not saying in this text that God will give me strength to overcome this. Rather that God is my strength. That when we find that the gift is actually the giver, I think is the key to us being able to walk through and come out the other end saying, I will have joy. I will walk through this the way that God desires or wants me to, because of those two keys, I think, that are in this text. One, that we remember His presence with us. That we see milestones of as we look back time and time again where He steps in as that David to rescue us. And then as we look to the future, it's this proclamation that I will rejoice, not in my circumstances, but in my Savior. That I will rejoice in the one That is my strength. I think that's why last Sunday I was able to sit with this community and to worship and to sing with them that God has blessed us double, double. Not because they were pumped that their whole church was decimated, but that they believed that the giver was actually the gift. That they believed that it was Him that they were holding on to. And I'm convinced that that is the same thing that we have to believe.
that will enable us to walk through. Let's pray.